good to see you today. Um, it's, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. And as you look around, you know there's some empty pews. And uh, to hear talk, it seems like we should have put extra Germex at the door. Um, I thank you for being here. I know that you don't take it lightly uh, to come to the Lord's house on a Sunday morning. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you're here and I'm glad to see you. I'm glad to be with you. I was not feeling well earlier in the week and Sydney and I have been battling it. It seems like we're, we're not alone. Y'all pray for Denise. Denise has, has been battling it. and She said, I will be there in the morning to play piano. And uh, so anyway, enough about that. If you're visiting with us and you've never been with us before, um, if you wouldn't mind, and if you notice in the bulletin, there is a QR code. Feel Take out your cell phone, and you can take a picture of that, and it should somehow, miraculously, in this world of the interwebs, take you to an online bulletin, and there'll be all kinds of stuff there um, on that online bulletin, order of worship, prayer list, sermon notes, um, all kinds of things. But if you scroll down to the bottom, uh, there's a digital connection card. This lets us know that you worshiped with us today, and if you're watching online, it's on your screen as well. A couple of announcements. Um, it's really important. It was put in the bulletin twice, so it's really important. It's the Youth Camp Fundraiser Banquet. And it'll be Saturday, February 26th at 6 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. Um, it said RSVP by the 19th. I know that some of you already have. Um, and today is past the 19th. Um, but there will be uh, maybe one of the youth. Anyway, there'll be a sign-up sheet on your way out, and if you haven't had an opportunity to sign up for that, um, you could RSVP with Brooke or Jared, pro probably Brooke, probably Brooke. Uh, is that accurate? Some have RSVP with you. But I will say, you can even just show up and come eat that night. Okay. We said the 19th, but we'll take Right. So this is a fundraiser for youth camp, and uh, it's really a blessing to come and be a part of that night, and the youth do a great job, so looking forward to that, and thanks in advance for, for blessing our youth with your attendance. Uh, the Arctic Barnabas Blessing Boxes, again, we're putting those together. If you're interested in uh, donating some items uh, for the Blessing Boxes, there is a list of needed items, and there's a box out there in the foyer. Uh, that has those needed items there as well, um, a list of those, and, and all that you can send um, is welcome. Um, so make sure you stick to that list, um, and we'll send those out the middle of next month. Are there any other announcements that need to be made? All right. I would like to share. Um, well, first of all, you may, you may notice that James is not here this morning, uh, James Sturgeon. Um, he has the, the honor of, of being with the church in Gatesville uh, this, today and next Sunday. Um, he's going to be sharing the word uh, with that church, not in view of a call or anything. They just, they just asked him if he would come and preach. And so um, he is able to, to share the word with them today. So keep James in your prayers. Um, he texted me a little while ago and said, I'm really nervous. And, uh, and that's a good thing. That is a good thing because God will meet you there in that nervousness. Um, I want to share for our call to worship passage of scripture from Paul's first letter to Timothy. And it's in chapter 1 and, and you don't have to turn there. If you'll just follow along as I read. This again is Paul's letter to Timothy, the first letter, chapter 1. And I'm going to begin with verse 12. This is what Paul writes to his, his son in the faith, Timothy. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. 
But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who believe in him for those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Can you identify with that? You have a past. God knew that you acted in ignorance because of unbelief. And he showed you mercy and overflowed in faith and love so that you, like Paul, can say, I know why Christ came into the world. He came into the world to save people like me who were not on our own able to save ourselves. And that through me, God might display his perfect patience. Aren't you glad his patience is perfect? That's why we are able to say together, as people who have received the mercy, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and sing.
morning we'll be reading the 23rd psalm the lord is my shepherd i shall not be in want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters he restores my soul he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff thy comfort me you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
you would please take your copy of God's Word. Paul, is this on? Okay. I'm about to move it. Y'all know that we've had, it feels like the room's blowing up sometimes when we move that thing. So, it's never, I want y'all to know, that's a hard job back there. Um, and so, always be courteous to the ones that work back there because um, it's harder than you might think. But the reason I, this thing sounds like it's going to blow up and people have a tendency to look back there and the problem's not back there. It's just, sometimes the connection's not real good. Um, I hope my voice lasts. Um, I was trying to sing and Sydney and I were spent time yesterday in the dusty show barn at San Antonio, and so my, my voice is, doesn't feel real strong, but I will do my best. Um, if you would take your copy of God's Word, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, be in verses 4 through 10 today. Um, if you didn't bring a copy of God's Word with you, there's one in the pew somewhere. Turn to the back, find page 181. You'll be at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. We're continuing a series called My Jesus, I Love Thee, uh, to where we look at Jesus uh, through the names that are attributed to him in Scripture, all for the purpose of loving him more. In today's, uh, the way that, that 1 Peter reveals Christ to us today is that it calls him a chosen stone. You'll see the word cornerstone there as well. So would you please stand as we have God's word read to us? This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. And this is God's word. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words and for this beautiful picture of our Savior. We pray that as your word is expounded upon, um, that the power that lies within it might not come through the words of the speaker, but because of the power that's inherent in them. Uh, show us our sin, show us our Savior. Help us, Lord, to see him with eyes afresh, laying upon our eyes upon our beautiful Savior, this chosen stone, this cornerstone, uh, who laid down his life for us that we might be like living stones. Lord, I do also pray for our dear brother James as he opens the word for this church in Gatesville, uh, that as he speaks the word that the Holy Spirit would be present. I know it already is, but that it the Spirit would, would feel even more present than sometimes we feel Him to be. And that through the preaching of the Word, people's lives could be edified. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things that Scripture does to help us understand the things of God um, is to use figures of speech, things that come down to our level. 
things that are easily accessible. Jesus spoke in parables. He talked about a sower going out to sow. He talked about um, a father and a son who decided he wanted to run away because um, he didn't want to be under the father's um, control or authority anymore. These are all things that in the day-to-day-ness of the New Testament, people would have understood. And those, um, those stories, those parables, those figures of speech, they don't stand alone. They don't stand on their own. They are ways, it's like opening a window to get a better view of the outside. Um, they help us to see the spiritual truths that they're trying to reveal. So this morning as we look at, at 1 Peter chapter 2, you notice that there is uh, quite a bit of talk about, about building. And, and so the central truth, I think, that, that comes to us this morning is that God is building a house. Now, again, this, this is a figure of speech. Uh, we understand that God does not have a body. God is spirit. God does not have a body like us. And so by saying that God is building a house, I don't intend in any way for us to understand that what God's doing is he's finding materials and tools um, and, and he's going to build something physical, per se, like, like a house that we would live in. Now, we do have the Old Testament to help us to understand. There's an importance in the Old Testament of, of a house, and it's in a couple of different ways that we'll see that God's building a house. Now, when I use the, the, the term or the phrase that God is building a house, it's, it's meant to indicate, because the Greek grammar substantiates this, that God is progressively building a house. It's, it's ongoing. And that what God is building has not arrived at its final state yet. God is continually building a house. But the question we might want to ask is, what kind of house is it specifically that God is building? Well, we find in verse 5, it says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. That's the kind of house that God is building. And when you see in, in the parentheses there, I put both temple and people. Because you'll see um, th- the word stones, stone, cornerstone, choice stone. So you get the sense that there is a building, but again, figure of speech. And then you see holy priesthood, and you also see chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, All of these are ways that Peter is trying to get us to understand what it is God is doing when he is building a house. Now, when we see the word spiritual, we might think in terms of this is something imaginary, something we can't really put our fingers, our hands on. But that's not true. All that the word spiritual merely does is to indicate the character of the house that God is building. By saying it's spiritual is to say that it has a spiritual origin. We're not the ones building this house. We're not the ones who have designed it. God is the one who originated it. It's his design. It's being built according to his spiritual character, and it's built accordingly for his purpose. But it's not imaginary. So what purpose to what purpose is God building this house? Well, we, we find that again in verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Here's the purpose. At least the first part of it. To be a holy priesthood. Now we know from the Old Testament, we, we, we don't have to wonder what is meant here by holy priesthood. We have, we have the Old Testament to help us to understand as well as how the New Testament interprets the Old Testament in light of who Jesus Christ is. We know that in the Old Testament, God designated a people, set them apart for the priesthood. And their role 
was to serve God and serve God alone in holiness. There was an expectation that when they were uh, called to service, they were called, um, I guess we could say, to a stricter standard in their character and in their service. And that was a, a smaller group of people in the Old Testament. But notice, in the New Testament, it's not a smaller group of people. It's the spiritual house that God is building. In fact, the whole house is called to be a holy priesthood. And what does this holy priesthood do? They offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Now, again, you see that word spiritual. Does that mean that this is some imaginary thing? No. This is not something imaginary, such that we might say that spiritual is, is, is on a level of things that, that we just can't see. And that non-spiritual things are, are part of the nuts and bolts of everyday life. When, when you, I think I'm going to be able to give you an Old Testament um, story to, to kind of hang this idea on. Again, spiritual doesn't mean imaginary. And sacrifice doesn't mean it's just something extra laying around in your life that I'm not using this. Jesus, why don't you take it? It's talking about something that is costly. And it's also talking about that costly something being given as prescribed by the dictates of Scripture. And notice it says to offer spiritual sacrifices. Look at that next word. Acceptable to God. You know, the Old Testament priests, they did not have the leeway to decide when, how, what to sacrifice. Now, very early in Scripture, we find that at least somehow two individuals knew that they were to sacrifice and they were to sacrifice to God. Those two individuals are Cain and Abel. One brother, Cain, did not give an acceptable sacrifice to God. Now again, this is not something imaginary. This is a real sacrifice that had real spiritual implications. Cain gave an unacceptable sacrifice. Abel gave an acceptable sacrifice. So it is, it is not as if we have the liberty to determine what a spiritual sacrifice is. So when God builds the house, he denotes what type of house it is. It's a spiritual house such that the people that comprise it are a holy priesthood who have a purpose of offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. In other words, their life is to revolve around God and be about His purposes and His worship. That's the house that God is building. Now this text also tells us that God has laid the cornerstone. Now the cornerstone is a hugely important aspect of building any kind of permanent structure, especially in the Old Testament. Now, I don't know about nowadays how important a, a cornerstone is. I'm no engineer. However, in this day and time, a cornerstone had to be perfectly fit and able to support loads and to be able to um, delineate um, the outside of the house. In other words, the foundation and the walls completely depended on the integrity and on the character of the cornerstone. Now I want you to notice in the text, I'm going to read verses uh, 6 and 7. It says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builder, builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
excuse me. God has laid the cornerstone. Notice how he's described in verse 4. It says, as you come to him, this is Christ Jesus, a living stone. Now stone, again, we're working with figures of speech here. Stone is building material. And the fact that it's living, well, stones don't have life in them. Now Christ, Jesus, whom this is talking about, he has life in himself. He says that uh, in, in John, that the Son has life in himself. He also is a giver of life. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the source of life after death. He tells uh, Mary and Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? He's the source of eternal life. And he is the living stone. Notice how God, sorry, I should have put that up there already. Um, notice how God describes him. Now this is, when I say God, I mean, this is how God is put into the mind of Peter to describe this living stone, this cornerstone, Jesus Christ. He's chosen. That means he was selected. That means that he was judged worthy of the all-significant, all-important task of being the cornerstone. Not only is he chosen, he is precious. No expense has been spared. Because of the importance and the significance of the cornerstone, no expense was spared to make sure that the foundation and the walls of this spiritual house could be set upon a stone that would not fail. Precious is also sometimes uh, translated as priceless. In my study this week, I came across this. I don't know if this is true or not. I don't have any reason to doubt it. But that scientists have discovered floating out in space an asteroid. I believe it's bigger than our moon, but it is a diamond. A diamond. And of course, you can imagine that greedy human beings are perhaps trying to figure out, is there a way that we could go and we can get a piece of it and bring it back? And, and it was estimated that the price of this asteroid diamond, if it were brought back to Earth somehow, that, that just like that, the diamond market would crash. It is worth that much. All other diamonds in comparison to that one are deemed utterly worthless. Christ is a precious, priceless cornerstone for us. And God has laid this cornerstone. Finally, we think about God building a spiritual house. We understand the type of house that he's building and that he is laying, has already laid the cornerstone. But now God is making living stones for his house. How is he doing this? Well, he's pointing dead men to life through his chosen stone. Now, I want to take just a moment and point your attention to verse 6. It says, For it stands in Scripture. Behold. Now, you see that word, behold? Perhaps you think it's just kind of a useless word, kind of a filler word. Uh, maybe the Old Testament version of um or uh. But this word really is meant to have you pause and to grab your attention so that you will be looking on tippy-toe as to what is about to happen next or what is about to be communicated. Say it this way. If a kid's about to jump into the swimming pool and he wants his dad to pay attention, Dad, Dad, look, Dad, Dad, look, Dad. And then they jump in because they want to get your attention. God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah. This is what Peter is, is quoting from the Old Testament. 
And God is saying, behold. In other words, look here. Look here. Notice what he says. I am laying. And again, this is talking about the son. I am laying in Zion a stone. Not just a stone. A cornerstone chosen and precious. So God is saying, I am doing something remarkable, significant. You can't look past this. Don't look anywhere else except right here. I am laying a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And notice the call that's in the last part of this verse. Because there is a call. God is saying, look at the stone, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Do you see the heart of God there? God understands that we are all born into this, earth, into this world and we are not living stones. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. So God, unilaterally, we wouldn't have dreamed this. He sends his son into the world. And it's not as if God wants us to not notice the son, he says, look, here is my cornerstone. And he is chosen and he is precious. In other words, he is of great value. In one of the translations I consulted, that last phrase, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, was put this way. Those of you who believe in him have seen his value. God is calling People to look at the Savior, at the cornerstone, and to believe Him. But of course we know, verse 7, that not everyone will believe. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. See that God calls people to believe in His Son, look at my cornerstone. Behold, but people want to be their own builders and say, I don't want that cornerstone. Now, specifically, I believe that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That specific verse was prophesying about the Jews of Jesus' day. John 1 says that Christ came into the world and his own people they didn't recognize him. Jesus walked around, God in human flesh. And he was the stone that those builders rejected. That has a definite uh, fulfillment there. But it also, mean, it also has fulfillment to every person who has ever been born. Because God says, this is my cornerstone. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And people will look at the cornerstone, chosen and precious, of more value than an asteroid made of diamond. And they will say, I don't want it. Now I want you to look at the end of verse 8. Actually, let me read verse 8 and just briefly comment. People will look at Christ and they will see a stone of stumbling. Not something that they want to embrace but a stone of stumbling, something that offends them. Why does it offend? Because of what he asks of you. Complete allegiance. Complete lordship. Bowing the knee. That you don't get to be the builder. But notice what the end of verse 8 says. It says, they stumble. Don't stumble over this. This is scripture. They stumble because they disobey the word. Now, do you see there? There is personal responsibility. They stumble because they disobey the word. Look at that last part. As they were destined to do. Human responsibility. God's sovereignty. God is sovereign over salvation. But God will not believe for you. God will not repent for you. God will not be saved for you. But God calls you 
He points you to his son. And he says, believe. And those that disobey the word and don't believe, they stumble. Just as they were destined to do. Personal choice. God's sovereignty. Charles Spurgeon was asked one time, Pastor, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty and salvation with personal human responsibility? And he said, I don't have to reconcile enemies. See, the Bible talks about them as friends. I need to speed up. I thought I'd run out of gas before now, but I guess not. God makes living stones for his house by pointing dead men to life through his chosen stone, Jesus Christ, and calling men out of darkness. Look in verse 9. It says, Who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I want you to think of this when you hear calling out of darkness. Remember, there's a story in John 11. It's the story of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus had been in the tomb, how long? Four days. And in good Old Testament English, they said, we don't need to remove that stone because he stinketh. Good, good old King James English. Nothing wrong with that. He stinketh. Lazarus was caught in darkness. Could not save himself. Could not resurrect himself. But Jesus said, roll back the stone. And then he called to a dead man. And said, Lazarus, come out. What happened? A dead man came to life. And he came out of the tomb and Jesus says, take that old grave stuff off of him. He was called out of darkness into light. And the light that I believe that we, like Lazarus, are called out of, we're called out of darkness and into a light where we can see who and what Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. When God calls men out of darkness, he shows mercy to those who believe. Look at verse 10. The end of it says, Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You don't realize you need mercy until you have been called out of darkness. and You stand in the light of God's holiness. And at that point, you are awakened to see what sin is in light of a holy God. And also in that moment, you have clearer vision to see the chosen stone for who and what he really is. Think about Isaiah chapter 6. Remember Isaiah? He had this vision. And in that vision, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And he had this seraphim flying around singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he looked upon the Lord and he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He knew in that moment that in the light of God's holiness, he was a dead man. But God had something for him. The seraphim went over and took one of the, or maybe it's a cherubim, I may be saying it wrong, but took one of the tongs, got a coal and went and touched his lip and he said, your sins have been atoned for. God had something for him. You see, in that moment, God showed mercy to Isaiah. Mercy is different than grace. Grace means it's a gift. You don't deserve it. Mercy means you deserve it. You just don't get it. See, grace, we receive something that's a gift that we in no way deserve and could not earn. But judgment requires that we pay the full price for sin. But see, here God's able to show mercy. Why? Because of the work of the cornerstone. Because the cornerstone, Christ Jesus, laid down his life at Calvary. 
so that God can say, Behold, I lay in Zion a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Friends, I want to say it again. God will not believe for you. And you cannot give mercy to yourself. But when you believe in the chosen stone, it opens the floodgates of God's infinite mercy in Christ Jesus. Finally, God's making living stones for his house by taking dead men, pointing them to the chosen stone, calling them out of darkness, raising them to life, showing them mercy, and then making a people of them. Again, verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. In other words, you're something that you were not before and could not make of yourself. You couldn't even envision the plan that God had for you, but now you have a new identity. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. This is verse 9. A holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Could any of us have ever envisioned that that would be the people that God would make out of us? But he is. He's making living stones for his house. Now, I don't know about you and your week the last few weeks, Perhaps you haven't felt much like a people. You know, you read that, you know, you once were not a people, but now you're God's people, and the kind of people you are, chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people call for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That, that may just not be what your week, your last few weeks, your last month, six months has, has felt like to you. Can I tell you on solid authority from Scripture that your feelings need to take a back seat to Scripture? Let your feelings take a back seat to the truth of Scripture. I want to read it again. Look at verse 6 with me. Look at the end of verse 6. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Say that with me. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. One more time. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Have you had a rough week? You had a rough month or six months? Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now what we often do, and and I need to not pass over this as well. The good news that God is unchanging. Not only does it say in verse 6, whoever believes in him will not be put to to shame. Look at the first part of verse 6. It says, for it is stands in Scripture. Now, do you understand what that means? Irrevocable. Unchangeable. You ought to have a smile on your face. It stands in Scripture that no matter what kind of week, month, year you've had, Whoever believes in God's chosen, precious cornerstone will not be put to shame. And guess what? And I know you may have stumbled over this. It says in verse 5, you yourselves like living stones. And I said God's making living stones. The reason that we're like living stones is because we're connected to the cornerstone. See, we don't have life in us. Jesus is the true living cornerstone. 
We don't have life in ourselves except through our connection with the cornerstone. Now, here's where when we start using or, or trying to understand some of the, the, the figures of speech that the Bible uses. We understand that a cornerstone really only touches maybe two stones, right, in a wall, or maybe the third, if you think on three dimensions. Well, that, if, if that was true, that would mean that we wouldn't have a connection with the stone. But, but again, here, we are all connected to the stone. What does that mean for us? It means as long as we're laid alongside the stone, that what God is building is going to be perfect. Because of us? No. Because of the chosen stone. Now, as I turn our attention to a time of response, I want to direct our attention again to verse 4. It says, as you come to him. In the Greek, that's, that's a participle. It, it kind of sets the background. Coming to him. It assumes a person is pursuing Christ. Now, I know that sometimes, and I've felt it. Trust me. I've felt it. Sometimes I think Christ would just be ashamed other than me. Right? Anybody? Anybody? Can't say amen, at least say ouch, right? Right? He doesn't want me to come to him. He doesn't want me to come to him. He does. He understands us. You understand? I know I'm going long, and I thank you for your patience. Calls him a living stone, calls us like living stones. You know what's so comforting about that? He became like us. He knows us. And he calls and he says, Come, whoever believes in me will never be put to shame. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of this word from Peter, from the from the Holy Spirit, from your heart about our Savior, this chosen and precious stone who became like us, that we might become like him. We praise you for him and for his work and all he's done. Lord, if there's any here who don't feel like they can come, reassure them that whoever believes in this stone will not be put to shame. If they have a hard time believing that they're a chosen race, a holy nation, royal priesthood, Convince them that it's not in their own character, but it's in the character of the chosen and precious cornerstone. Lord, Lord, bring us close this morning and bathe us in this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand, stand and sing just as I am. There's something that you'd like to, a way that you'd like to respond to the Lord this morning. I encourage you to do so. I realize I've talked more than I usually do, or maybe I haven't, um, but we don't need to rush things if you've got, if God's got business to do with you, so let's sing together. So I, I was not with the deacons at prayer meeting this morning. Is there any that y'all would like to share real quick? Any prayer updates that anyone would like to share real quick before we are dismissed? Sorry, I keep moving, Jen. Okay. Well, we'll have a quick word of prayer, and we will say the Great Commission together, and we'll be dismissed. I did want to say 
Uh, Jared's going to be leading Bible study tonight. Sydney and I are headed to Lubbock. Y'all don't know, I've got a Red Raider in my house. Very excited about that. So we get to drive to the Flatlands today for an event tomorrow. I'm thankful for Jared um, leading the night. Pray for him. And also, when we think about it, pray for our, our dear brother James as he can, has this opportunity to minister to this church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, for the soothing truth uh, that we find in the Scripture of your mercy and your grace through Christ Jesus. Lord, sometimes it may be difficult for us to think that we amount to anything in your kingdom and that why would you use us as a living stone? We thank you that our connection to Christ makes us new and usable. So we pray, God, that as you form us and fit us into the building that you're building, that you would find us formable and fittable, uh, that we would long to be the type of spiritual house that you've called us to be. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for, especially the excellencies of you who called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. So we pray, God, that as we have opportunity, open our lips that our mouths might declare your praise of what Christ Jesus has done for us. Lord, go with us this week as we do have opportunities to share. Um, use us in your service. Bless those who are sick uh, with healing. Uh, those who are traveling, that they would be with us soon. God, we do love you. We thank you so much for your son, Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Have a great day.